0: The Truth News Network. The woke agenda is collapsing. Cancel cultures <laughs> pushback is happening in the schools and state legislatures because the people have had it. So the lie is not working. Now all they have is force. And you need to protect yourself. You need to see the real picture. You need the truth and we're TNN, The Truth News Network with Dan Newman.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another day. Welcome to another program with me, Dan Newman at TNN Live. I'm glad you chose to be here. Know full well, your being here is always a choice. And I appreciate you making those choices. What do we have in store today? Well, Steve Baker will join us. This is Tuesday. He'll join us at the top of our number two He'll bring some new information. He's going to update us. Remember that press conference that was at D. Lee Plaza last, um, I forget what day it was, Thursday? And uh, it was about the latest goings-on regarding our January 6th debacle and the Department of Justice coming directly after Steve Baker just simply for exercising his First Amendment rights. He'll have that. Between now and there, there are so many little layers on the onion and we've got to peel. There are so many things going on. How the heck do we keep up with it as Americans, everyday Americans? It's virtually impossible. It never stops. It changes all the time, but it never stops. Nevertheless, we're going to find a way to get some clarity for you on some of the biggest things today. Yes, We're going to our southern border. Yes, we're going to Washington, D.C., and yes, we're going to the Middle East and some other places in between those. So I suggest you just sit back and buckle in for a big day, an important day. They all are. Why? Because we're living in it, right smack dab in the middle of it, whatever it is, right? (laughs) Yes, enjoy the day.
2: in here something's going on it's not quite clear somebody turn on the light That's good. Some of my friends came by from the neighborhood. (laughs) You see, that uh, people are starting.
1: We forget about Lionel Richie. Remember him back in the '70s, late '70s and '80s? Oh my gosh! Remember the Commodores? He was the lead singer for the Commodores. That makes me way older than most of you. (laughs) Hey guys, thanks for joining us here today. We've got much to get into. We're going to talk about the immigration process and the broken pieces. Now there's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of perceivable hiding of facts coming out of this administration regarding the legality, the illegality of illegal immigration. Everything, every part of it, it's in federal law. Now, what are we talking about? I don't want to, I don't want to spend a lot of time. I tell you what, let's do this. Let's wait till we get the house full of people. It always takes some because many are at work. It takes some five, eight, 10 minutes to get going with us, and I don't want anybody to miss on this. So why don't we just jump over here and first talk a bit about what is being planned for our southern immigration border protection by the U.S. Senate. Now, usually we talk about the House of Representatives. Why is that? Because those are the people that are in charge of handling all the money of the United States. Well, they don't handle it. What they do is put the bills together that eventually get passed into laws, signed into laws, and then the federal government supposedly starts to act on them. The Senate, they're kind of like the watchdogs up there, and they deal with the judiciary system and stuff like that. Both of them are equally important. But when it comes to the day-to-day stuff, the House is normally the go-to source However, now the Senate is poised for a border showdown with the House. They're getting ready in the Senate to move ahead with their legislation on the southern border, despite our buddy Mike Johnson's warning that this bill that the Senate has been working on, even though as early as today, they still have not put out to the House, the Senate hasn't, Or to the American people, the Senate has not given us any of the bill that they're planning on trying to pass. Now, why would they do that? I think we all know why they would do that. There's only one plausible explanation. They don't want us to see it. They don't want us to be able to digest for ourselves the contents of what they're proposing to put out and force the American people to live with it. They'll pass it. Here's how this piece of government always works. One house or the other. When Nancy Pelosi was the House Speaker, we never saw any major piece of legislation uh, maybe two days before it was voted on to pass. And every one of those are omnibus bills. Now, what are those? Those are bills that include hundreds of little bitty other issues other than the main subject of that piece of legislation and it's thousands sometimes 1500 pages of things that these lawmakers nobody could go through all of the paperwork and the these and thous that are included in these bills that they come up with the legal terminology in a couple of days nancy pelosi did it she's gone so mike johnson doesn't do that now on the senate side Um, Chuck Schumer's the boss. He's a Democrat and he's trying to do the same thing. So here's what's going on. Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, who is feckless. He is on his way out. He calls himself a Republican, but he's not. He's a rhino. He runs right down the middle and his number one objective is to keep everybody together and doesn't want to upset the apple cart. Why? Because he's old His wife is a billionaire, and he's about to leave, and he wants to go out like a swan, you know, so delicate, like everything's cool, looky here. Senate Republican Leader McConnell and his allies, they're not ignoring Mike Johnson's uh, promise, but they're betting that if the legislation passes in the Senate, this southern border stuff that includes all kinds of impossible things. You will not, the ones that have leaked out of the Senate, the little ones, you're not going to believe what's included. But it has very little, if anything, to do with shutting down the border and getting it back to the way it was. They feel like if they get it passed in the Senate, their bill, which I can't even talk about, it's going to force Mike Johnson to put it up for a vote in the lower chamber because they're going to put heavy pressure on it and they'll be able to say, look, over here in the Senate, we got our bipartisan bill put together and the Senate has it all done. Now, Mike Johnson, House Speaker, and his MAGA Republicans, they're stopping this from getting passed to help the American people and to fix our broken immigration system. Senior aides in the Senate say, they're expecting the legislation to reach the Senate floor before the end of next week, though the leaders haven't yet formally announced a decision on timing. But they have the bill finished, and they won't let us see it. If Mike, Mike Johnson doesn't act on the bill, House Republicans are going to risk getting blamed for abandoning Ukraine on the battlefield and undermining American credibility with its allies. Let me point something out. This administration, the Biden administration, has very little, if any, credibility with our allies. They've seen and heard and watched and listened to Joe Biden themselves. They know how feckless he is. They're watching his administration do its thing. They have watched as he is unwound, single-handedly unwound most of the fiber of this nation that was carefully put together over a period of years. And Donald Trump tied the knot on it. And it worked. It worked. Yeah, there were some places where they struggled to get things done. Many of those were because he could not get fellow Republicans several times in Congress to go with him. And some of that was on the border stuff. That if they had we would not be in this situation. Instead, they would allow Democrats to hammer them for blocking reforms to significantly reduce the flow of migrants across the southern border. Now, that's not what we are told this bill includes. We're simply, right now, we're talking about the political process. Now, isn't that stupid? Wouldn't you think that the American people deserve to know and have a part in understanding and questioning the content of every such massive bill that our representatives are about to vote on, they, the legislators, they look at it from strictly a political standpoint. Now, if I support this, what are my people going to do in my district, in my state? I want to I get reelected in November. I don't want to lose my job over this. So maybe I ought to try to cut a deal. That's not what we the people care about. But here they go, jumping right back into politics. I think it can pass the Senate because there are enough Senate Republicans who have been working on this bill for four or five months. They want you to forget that the House had a bill that included most of the things most Americans want regarding our southern border, and what would those things include that we want? First, close the southern border. Adhere to the rule of law. Do what the Constitution says and what federally passed laws that are on the books say, and we won't have a problem. Novel idea, right? (laughs) There were also a lot of Senate Republicans who were there in 2013, remember? We got 68 votes for bipartisan immigration reform, only to see it die in the House. Those people still know that we need to solve the problem, and they're willing to work on it despite what Donald Trump is trying to do. That's from Jonathan Cott. Of course, Cott is a Democratic strategist and a former Senate aide. 14 Republican senators voted for a sweeping immigration reform bill 10 years ago. Now, none of these guys are there now. I think a few of them may be, you know, dinosaurs. 10 years ago, they tell us that that would have hired 20,000 Border Patrol agents and required the government to construct 700 miles of fencing. Remember that? It was fencing. It wasn't going to be a wall. But it never reached the floor Of the Republican controlled House. I'll ask you a question. Why wouldn't it reach the floor? Could it possibly be that our representatives, the ones like Mike Johnson, Louisiana's fourth congressional district where I live, he's my congressman, he sees eye to eye with me on numerous occasions. We're friends but we get face-to-face regularly. And I don't even pause a second to tell him what I think about legislation and the process that's going on at the time. Maybe the reason that one didn't even get to the floor to be considered was it had so much pork and junk planted in it by the Repub- uh, by the Republicans and the Democrats in the Senate, it did not represent the will of the people that those House representatives, they go to those people. They ask them for campaign money. They ask them for their votes. There's a danger. If Republicans say the stated reason why we're turning our back on this deal is expressly political, there's obvious political danger in that. That's from Scott Jennings. Never heard of him. He's a Republican strategist. Oh, I understand who he is. He's a strategist, has advised Mitch McConnell's past campaigns. It's about politics, right? Jennings said it's tough for Republicans who support the border security deal to defend it to fellow GOP critics because the entire text of it has yet to be made public. So they're denigrating before they give you and me the facts about why anybody's questioning. They denigrate it all the way. Oh, these people won't pass this. They won't even vote on it, yada, yada. Oh, by the way, by the way, it's tough for Republicans who support the border security deal to defend it because the entire text of it has yet to be made public. I'm done with that. gummit. I'm not done. I'm down. I, you know, we're going to hear from some folks about it, some experts. In fact, one of them, our buddy, former Fox nighttime commentator, had the number one show for years and years until Fox kicked him to the curb. Tucker Carlson on the latest Texas border stuff. Oh my gosh, we've got Texas involved in it. Wait a minute, that's not the United States. They don't have control of or anything to do legally with the southern border. They're the ones that are losing Tens of billions of dollars because Joe Biden won't enforce the law. Listen to Tucker, an attorney general of Texas, Ken Patrick.
3: The state of Texas appears to be on a kind of collision course with the Biden administration, with the federal government over the southern border. Can it be protected or must the invasion continue? The Supreme Court has waited on this to some limited extent, but it hasn't solved the problem or answered the question so what happens now things are moving very quickly and it seemed like there was no one better to tell us what the future may hold than the attorney general of the state in question ken paxton who joins us now mr attorney general thank you so much for coming on so that that's the question where where does this go it, it's, it seems like there are two large forces speeding toward each other no one's swerving what happens do you think
4: you know, I don't think anybody knows exactly what happened because we're in uncharted territory where we have a federal government that has largely not just ignored federal law, not just ignored their constitutional role to protect the state and the country. They're actually participating with the cartels and bringing people here as fast as they possibly can. I just don't think we've ever seen anything like this in our country where we have a federal government not just not doing their job, but affirmatively working with bad people, to do bad things to the country i just i don't remember anything like this can i just ask you stop there, since
3: you're a law enforcement you're the chief law enforcement officer of your state can you assess whether what the Biden administration is doing now is strictly speaking criminal are they breaking the law in
4: how they're handling the border i i think they are i mean they're taking federal law and dismantling it it's it's he has a constitutional duty to implement what has been put in place by the elected representatives yes and he's just not doing that and he's making up his own rules as we go that allow the cartels to gain a foothold a strong really strong foothold in the United States not just in my state but really across the they're building a network across the country so that they can keep doing this well after Biden's gone
3: so uh, just to like the next few days or weeks or months or who knows. The Biden administration has effectively threatened your state and said you've got twenty four hours to do something. What are they demanding that you do, and where does this go short term? Do you think?
4: you know i'm not I'm not exactly sure what we're supposed to do. I mean, is it we're supposed to let them uh, help them cut down wire and fences? We weren't ordered to do that by anybody that 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 I know of, and so we have no obligation to help them violate federal law, and we're not going to do it. And I don't think Abbott's going to give in. I certainly don't plan on giving in, so they're pushing us to help them. And we're not going to help them violate federal law. We're going to try to defend our border the best we can with the resources we have. And, you know, my job is to do it in court. Abbott has other resources at his disposal. and I hope he uses every single one of them to stop this.
3: There's not one power center in this country. The media, the government at all levels and both parties big business. There's not one power center in the United States that would like to see secure borders. And so of course we haven't had secure borders and now we're being invaded and no one's really doing anything about it. So it was just a matter of time before citizens who love their country, in many cases who have served their country overseas, decided to get a little more active in protecting their country. And that's why we're about to see the take our border back convoy. It begins on January 29th truckers, bikers, anyone who wants to come and protect the United States and demand that our government secure our southern border is welcome. They'll be driving to Texas, and one of the people who will help them navigate that state is Doc Pete Chambers. Chambers is, true to his title, a physician. He's a former Green Beret. He was recently down in Eagle Pass, Texas, and here's part of what he saw. Doc Chambers from uh, Eagle Pass, Texas. Today's the 18th of December. We're out
5: here uh, at the point of entry. 5,000 are sitting on the ground right now. It's increasing as we as we go along. Information that we've received says another 7,000 should be processed through this particular point by morning. Uh, Joe and I have been here many times. Last time we were down here we were in uniform and now I'm a civilian and uh, in the Army of God. So uh, we'll keep to- telling truths. And uh, you need to get this video to your legislators, and tell them, in the state of Texas particularly, this is out of control.
3: So not surprisingly, Doc Pete Chambers has been attacked by dying legacy media outlets as a deeply scary person, because your country being invaded is not scary. It's all totally normal. We thought it would be worth talking to Doc Pete Chambers about what he expects to happen with this convoy and his role in it. He joins us now. Doc Chambers, thank you so much for coming on.
5: It's great to be here, Tucker.
3: So, um, what can we expect with this convoy? Can you describe what it is and what its purpose is?
5: Right, this is a peaceful assembly. This is what we do as Americans. This is how we get we shed light to a subject. This shedding of the light will result in exposing really what an open border policy looks like. Yes, we know that that you know we know the problem sets in Texas. But literally, I, could, I promise you this, that 40 miles north of that border, there would be people that will never have heard of the border problem because they just watch mainstream media. Yes. And so this is what
3: that is about. And so can you tell us the route of the convoy and who you expect to join it?
5: Right. Uh, so so right now, they're going to be leaving out of, on the 29th, uh, Virginia Beach, which is where the 1607 Covenant, the landing, uh, which signified the... Uh, John Smith landing in 1607 where they planted yes. a cross on the beach and said, hey, we, this is a covenant to this nation, to God. Uh, and and then they're going to leave from there, and they're going to go down through Florida. They're going to cut across Highway 10 through Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Houston, into uh, Dripping Springs, Texas, where I'll be working out of, and then on to near Eagle Pass. Now, I'm part of the advisory of this, and, and as I, as I advised, I used to be in that same unit that's down there. That's the... Unit that has a streamer on it from the Alamo. It's very historic Texas unit, and so they are down there holding line. And I know those soldiers. I worked with them. I I I, I took care of them as a doctor with uh, Operation Lone Star. They're busy. So the, the the convoy is going to go just a little bit shy, just a little bit to the north, really, uh, in a, in an area about 30 miles away, in kimado Texas, to a children's camp. A lady, a beautiful lady down there, who has taking care of orphans and widows. You can't write this stuff in a book. I I couldn't make this up. But she was overrun, first of all, by the COVID mandates that said, you got to shut down. You can't keep running this shelter, number one. Number two, she was overrun by the numbers of of volumes of uh, illegals that were coming through her neighborhood trying to get into her food pantry. And then number three, the cartels are a significant presence in that area because that is the end point of where they do the end around. So we are looking at the bright, shiny object that is Eagle Pass. That's a bright, shiny object looked here. The droids that you're not looking for, if you will, are just to the north, right in that location. And so what what this is gonna do is it's gonna bring light to it because we have to understand that there is a constitution, both state and federal, and that we have to, number one, expose those that argue things in the the Hegelian dialectics, if you will, of tort law and look at the constitution, which is exactly what this is a focus on the constitution we the people, that's why we the people will be riding along, mama bears, cops, veterans, truckers, uh, and going to that location to bring light. There is nothing nefarious about this. There is, matter of fact, I am suggesting to them that they, that they and they know this, they know this, that this is a peaceful demonstration. This is, this is how this will be.
1: So there you heard some reason from both the doctor, the guy that's heading up this convoy, and Attorney General Ken Patrick. These are the people that are in the trenches. People in Washington, D.C., you must understand this. With the exception of the few, maybe a handful, of lawmakers from those lower Texas and lower New Mexico and lower Arizona and California districts, people don't see this. It's like it's something that's happening down there. It doesn't happen to me so there's nothing I can do about it, so I'm not going to sweat it. But here's the thing we all need to understand. we why. If a country doesn't have borders, and borders that are real, they're there for a purpose, and there are reasons to have people within that country and people be kept out of that country. Every nation has its own rights. If you don't have laws in any nation, and you don't have borders, and I mean literally have a border and enforce it. You don't have a nation. You're just a piece of ground out there. That's the way it goes. Nothing but a piece of ground. And our lawmakers, these same people that are arguing over this thing, they passed some laws specific. I'll just mention a couple of them. 18 U.S. Code 1325 improper entry by an alien. Now this is the law pertaining to the people that are coming here. Any alien who, one, enters or attempts to enter the United States at any time or place other than as designated by immigration officers, or two, eludes examination or inspection by immigration officers, or three, attempts to enter or obtains entry to the United States by a willfully false or misleading representation, or the willful concealment of a material fact shall, for the first commission of any such offense, be fined under Title 18 or imprisoned not more than six months or both, and for a subsequent commission of any such offense, be fined under Title 18 or imprisoned not more than two years or both. Now, that's pretty plain, isn't it? It's pretty obvious. Now, what means if you come here illegally? What does coming here illegally mean? It means if you come here without going through the legal immigration process of the United States and you come across, you've just committed this this felony, it's not a felony first, it's a misdemeanor, then it becomes a felony later. But nevertheless, it's a law. You break this law. Now, that's been going on for a long, long time by people that will not enforce it. Now, I don't know if you know anybody that's not enforcing laws. I mean, in your town, in your city, if you drive drunk, you're breaking the law, right? Right. If a cop in your town or city stops you and you're proven to be under the influence at that particular moment, you broke the law and you're going to pay a price for it. What's different about that and what's going on at the southern border? So what about those who don't enforce the law, immigration law? Well, there's eight U.S. Code subchapter 1327. Any person... Who knowingly aids or assists any alien inadmissible under Section 1182, insofar as an alien inadmissible under Section has been convicted of a navigated felony or other than subchapter either of this title to enter the United States, or who connives or conspires with any person or persons, and here's the magic phrase. To allow, procure, or permit any such alien to enter the United States shall be fined under Title 18 or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both. Now, that phrase, this is a law, folks. Congress passed this law. The clause that just pops out at me anybody who connives or conspires with any person or persons to allow, procure, or permit any such alien to enter the United States shall be fined under Title 18 or imprisoned, not more than 10 years or both. Now, who could that possibly apply to? (laughs) Let's start at the White House, how about? Yeah. Joe Biden. You can call it conniving. You don't have to go there. But conspires with any person or persons to allow? Hmm. I think that shoe fits the president. I'm positive it fits Alejandro Mayorkas, Homeland Security Secretary, who's about to be popped in a, uh, In a case. It's got to start in the House of Representatives. But he's about to be popped with an impeachment And he should be. And anybody that breaks these laws, our lawmakers are somehow getting away with breaking the law. What did former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi say throughout every minute of the Trump administration? Oh, Trump needs to learn. Nobody's above the law, not even Donald Trump. Well, guys, not even Joe Biden not even Alejandro Mayorkas. And if the Senate and the House try to ignore this fact during this process, we're going to have something in the way of a revolt. I don't have any idea what it will look like. I hope if it happens, it won't be really, really bad. But it certainly could be because lives are at stake. I won't belabor it much, but if you only look at one part, one price that's being paid from this flood of illegals across our southern border, is this. Biden's been in office now a little over three years. Is that right? Yeah, he's in his fourth year now. 100,000 Americans died of poisoning. Fentanyl poisoning that came into this country with these illegals and, of course, others outside of the illegals. But most of it's coming with these illegals that are coming here because the border's open. 100,000 each year. That's not enough to hold somebody liable for breaking federal laws. If it's not, folks, this nation is toast. Without enforcement, of laws you don't have a nation
2: i pass through the trees i leave behind the mountains i weave in the air i fly over the birds
6: and i wish when i complete my journey i leave behind a better world Honda Civic Hybrid India's first hybrid car with Ivy Tech engine leave behind a better world
7: Hi, I'm Jet Williams Even though I never knew my father, Hank Williams his legacy taught me the meaning of lending a helping hand That's why I support the Orphan Foundation of America OFA is committed to providing education, mentoring, and a workplace readiness for thousands of teens aging out of the foster care system. With the help of OFA's support programs, these young people can go to college and trade school, graduate, and make the leap from foster care to success. To learn how you can help, visit Orphan.org.
0: too much spin on your plate how about a diet of truth Truth. the truth news network sets your table and here again to serve it up is dan newman
1: just a footnote to that last story we were talking about georgia representative marjorie taylor is predicting that not a single house democrat will vote in favor of impeaching homeland security secretary alejandro mayorkas The House Homeland Security Committee, they're meeting right now as we speak, considering two articles of impeachment, and they're pretty darn sure it's going to pass, which means then we'll have to go to the floor of the House of Representatives. There'll have to be a vote on the floor. There'll be all kinds of pontification. It's not going to happen quickly. It won't happen any time in the next couple of weeks because that would require a massive amount. Of legal actions, getting all the I's dotted and the T's crossed. But it's amazing that we were stuck at this point. She said, I still can't believe I had to force the floor vote on the House. I guess I can be thanking these Democrats and these eight Republicans now that those articles of impeachment were moved that my articles were moved to Homeland because Chairman Mark Green and the other Republicans on Homeland, having dealt face-to-face and gone through all the hearings that we did with all the witnesses that we brought in, they had the will to impeach Mayorkas. She'd attempted to bring those articles for a vote twice in November. They were referred to committee the first time, avoiding the actual vote. She was persuaded to back down the second time after being assured the articles would go through the committee process. The impeachment articles are likely to advance out of committee on party lines today. Then Speaker Johnson has pledged a housewide vote, ASAP. Isn't it horrible that we have to go through this horrible structure? And let me say this about what happens in this political process in Washington, D.C., all these rigmaroles that we go through, there certainly are checks and balances to make sure that no little group of lawmakers, no single lawmaker, and the political party pontification that goes on, that there is not sufficient discussion. Hearing witnesses, getting information, learning all the parts of whatever the issue is, especially impeachment, that it's covered and taken care of and everything's going to be okay to move forward. Here's our problem. We're running out of time. What do you mean running out of time, Dan? How much longer can you and I support this massive trillion-dollar operation concocted by Democrats at the behest of who knows who. But there is never anything done by Republicans in office or even Republicans out of office who still have their hands in everything going on. They'll do anything to get what they think is best. Best for who, you say? (laughs) I say that. I ask that question all the time. It's certainly not about for the good of the American people, the population. This is dragging us to depths this nation has been in. And we are about to drown. I promise you, if this bill passed, as it has been told to me, including the things that are within it, we could see the United States in a horrible financial system, one that you and I have never seen in our lifetimes because we can't afford what we're doing right now, what this administration is doing right now regarding spending money. We can't afford it. And you can't just continue to borrow and borrow and borrow and borrow. Do you know how much every time the interest bill on our debt, just the interest bill, not paying anything on the principal of what we owe, just the interest bill is $1. Trillion dollars a year. And these lawmakers don't give a rip. Now, how can you say that, Dan? You don't know these individuals. Well, somebody way before me made this statement. In fact, you can go find it and read it. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, what does that mean? Well, that kind of destroys the political process, right? You're supposed to speak the truth about everything, right? So anytime you come up with this craziness, this stupidness, this anti-democratic stuff, while you're screaming, Donald Trump wants to take over the world, he wants to be a dictator. We're headed for a totalitarian nation if Donald Trump is re-elected. I can't think of a single thing that Donald Trump did or tried to do in office his four years that fits into this scenario. Ignoring the rule of law and just acting solo. Autocrat. Autocracy. That's what these Democrats want for the United States. Now, how can you say that, Dan? You don't know that. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Does any of this sound democratic to you? Does it sound like it's going through the process that our forefathers put together in this representative republic? Doesn't to me. If you want to argue with me, I'd love to have that conversation. By the way, Steve Baker joins us in about 16 minutes. It's Tuesday, that's his day on our show. We'll be able to dig into some stuff from his side. He's in the loop now. He's working with the Blaze Network, and he has access to a lot of resources that he didn't before. And he always brings wonderful things. (laughs) Sometimes they're wonderful, but he always brings us things that we really don't see. But before we get there, something kind of interesting has come out. Joe Biden is weighing on launching strikes on Iranian military assets in the Persian Gulf. And this, of course, comes, I guess, the... Final shoe that dropped. Three Americans were killed in Jordan by a Iran backed drone this weekend. The president has demanded that his advisors present him with options on how to respond to the attacks without dragging us into battle in the Middle East. Insiders revealed that any revenge bombings will take place in the coming days as the commander in chief and military brass study what their possible targets would be, I've heard from probably five or six different real political experts, military experts, the whole shebang, and they're all over the air telling the president, by experience, these are the things that have worked in the past, stopping Iran and other militant operations around the world from doing these kind of terrorist activities, He's covered his administration with a bunch of yes, sir, people. Otherwise, how can you explain that they've attacked us in Syria and Jordan? Excuse me, Syria and Iraq, 170 times? And we haven't responded in any way, obviously, that's meaningful enough to stop them. They're not afraid of us anymore. Fears of war Were sparked over the weekend when an Iran-backed suicide drone killed three American soldiers at a remote base near Jordan's border with Syria. Now, let me, this illustrates what these Islamic terrorists are thinking. What do you mean, Dan? That was a suicide drone. There was a terrorist inside that drone, and he purposely went to his death to go meet who he thinks is his maker, Allah, and he's going to get those, what is it, 69 virgins when he gets to heaven? Those victims of that, that attack were named on Monday, all three of them are from Georgia. We pray for their families. Iran-backed militias calling themselves the Axis of Resistance. They've launched more than 160 strikes on U.S. targets, since the October 7 attack by Hamas. So all of this, do you think they really give a rip about the attacks on Hamas? I'm sure they do in some fashion. But this is not about Hamas. This is not about the Palestinian people. This is about killing the great Satan. And they look at our nation now, and we have a president that has no spine, has no fortitude, likes to say a lot of things, but when it comes down to crunch time and doing things, he's not the guy. So the spokesperson for the Pentagon, the National Security Department, J- John Kirby, former admiral, he got kind of devoured yesterday by Jackie Heinrich of Fox News and... uh She asked him some really tough questions. I want you to hear how this back and forth, and if you never watch any of these hearings, you're going to hear one guy ask a couple of questions before Jackie, and you'll hear Kirby explain, but then listen to her. And listen to kirby's response
8: john i just want to clarify two of your previous answers in this briefing are you suggesting in response to the border question that the president is withholding executive action on the border until he gets the money that is part of this
7: supplemental no i'm not suggesting that i'm suggesting that the way forward the proper way forward is to get the supplemental passed
8: okay and then in response to mj's question earlier it sounded like the administration has ruled out strikes within iran
7: Jackie, I appreciate the question. Uh, I think you can understand. I hope you can understand. Uh, I'm not going to telegraph punches here. We are not looking for a war with Iran. We are not looking to escalate the tensions any more than they already have been escalating. In fact, everything we've done has been designed to try to de-escalate those tensions. That said, this was a very serious attack. It had lethal consequences. We will respond, and we'll respond appropriately. I'm not going to telegraph what that's going to look like.
8: The question, though, was if you were actively considering targets inside mm-hmm. Iran, and your answer was we don't see conflict with Iran, which indicates that the administration would view strikes within Iran as escalatory, and so is it that the administration ultimately does not hold Iran responsible for these attacks, or that the current level of risk and loss to U.S. troops is somehow acceptable? I, I do
7: appreciate the, the question and the chance to, to, to say it again. I am not going to telegraph punches for the President of the United States. I'm not going to get ahead of his decision space and how he's going to respond. We'll respond appropriately. And you're, you know, you're right. This attack had lethal consequences, um, which these attacks in the past have not had. And as I said in my opening statement, as we work through what those options are, uh, we'll be mindful and informed by the fact uh, that there are now three American soldiers that have been killed. So
8: it's clear, obviously, that don't didn't work. Does the president have any regret over not pushing, punching back harder? in any of the prior responses that he's taken to these proxy attacks on U.S. forces? I would,
7: uh, uh, I think I would push back on the idea that we didn't push back harder, Uh, that we have taken significant action against uh, Iran economically. We have certainly taken some ad- additional and uh, more aggressive steps to go after these groups. Um, we're certainly taking aggressive action uh, against the Houthis to try to d- defend shipping in, in the Red Sea. I mean, this idea that somehow we've just, you know, whistled past the graveyard here and, and, and walked away from the challenge that Iran poses just isn't borne out by the facts. Iran, uh, uh, These proxy groups have been attacking uh, our troops and our facilities in Iraq and Syria well before this administration as well. And we...
8: For instance, Mike Waltz said this morning that when you're trying to play defense constantly rather than punching back in a meaningful way, this blood is on this administration's hands. What What is the response from the White House to an accusation like that?
7: What I would tell you and I would tell the congressman is we're mindful of what Iran's doing in the region. And uh, we have taken aggressive action against these proxy groups and about and, and on their influence in the region. And there are decisions yet to come. So. Let the president make his decisions, let him weigh these options, and then we'll act. Uh, These groups have choices to make, um, and uh, we're going to do everything we can to to make sure that they make uh, the right choice here. But uh, the idea that we have somehow laid down um, and uh, and not pushed back on Iran is simply not borne out by the facts.
1: 165 times. Um, Let's see. He just said those three were the only fatalities that we've had from these attacks. What he fails to even think about, talking about, is there are dozens and dozens of our military members that have been seriously injured, many of them with brain problems from these drone attacks. He actually has the Cahudas to say that they have pushed back aggressively at Iran for this activity. Well, if I'd been sitting there, I would have said, Admiral Kirby, it doesn't matter what kind of pushback we've done. It hasn't worked. How many more people have to die before you take action? It's kind of like, Mr. Biden, we had 100,000 Americans die from fentanyl poisoning. Can you hear me? Last year. Is that not enough to give you the impetus to close the southern border and operate it according to the rule of law? And he kept saying again and again, don't think that we haven't taken action. Oh, my gosh, if I could only tell you what we've done. When we can see what they've done, squat. This whole thing just runs me back to Afghanistan. Now, why are you going back there? Biden to this day says that was a great thing. It went smoothly. Yeah, they had a couple of hiccups. Let me tell you what describes Joe Biden's foreign policy. You remember all that equipment, all that military equipment, helicopters, tanks, almost $100 billion worth of equipment, ammunition, supplies, and everything— on Bagram Air Force Base. Joe Biden walked off, left it. That equipment has fought against us in other places. That's a fact. It's been proven. But not only that, let me tell you something I really doesn't want to talk about. You know, the bombing that took place at that gate at the airport and killed 12 other American military members. We all thought. And we heard, man, that's horrible. That's horrible. Man, I hate it for those people. Talk about illustrate the Biden administration's foreign policy. We trace, you can trace explosives after they have gone off because where they're made has an ID specific. Wherever in the world they're made, the materials in them, we know where they came from. The explosives... And that suicide vest that killed those 12 came from the explosives that we had at Bagram Air Base. So in that short period of time, the terrorists over there, they went in and made suicide vests with that material. But you want to know what's worse than that? There was a prison in Bagram Air Base where quite a few foreign terrorists, illegals, were being held there. The man that wore that suicide vest was one of those people in prison in Bagram that we walked away from. We didn't even bother to give the keys to anybody. We just walked away. This is unacceptable. We cannot have this happen. We're still, maybe with a thread, we're still the number one nation, politically, militarily, on the planet. But man, is Joe Biden and his minions? John Kirby, an admiral? And they're telling us all this stuff that doesn't add up and it's nothing but crap.
0: Just because you think something's right, doesn't mean it's right. Just because you think something's wrong, doesn't mean it's wrong. But always get the truth about right and wrong here at TNN, the Truth News Network. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Keel's we're fresh because of what we do but more than that we're fresh because of you
3: it's super salmon days down at fish brothers for a limited time bringing any fish and get a child salmon entree free you heard right bring in any fish and get a free child salmon entree and I mean any fish got a swordfish lying around bring it in got a goldfish you're sick of feeding bring it in got a fish that's been sitting in the sun for a few days bring it in we'll throw it in with the rest of them what we do with the fish is nobody's business but ours just enjoy your salmon eight ninety nine with our famous stew so, welcome on into Fish Brother Seafood themed restaurant where everything's a great catch except the shrimp.
1: I like that song. Well, anyway, it's time for our <laughs> man. Of uh, the hour, that would be Steve Baker. I think you hear him talking in the background. Good morning, sir.
6: Good morning. What song did I miss?
1: Take sexy back.
6: Oh, <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of one from the past, isn't it? <laughs>
6: oh my lord! <laughs> yeah. We played it. We
1: wow. played. We played part of the of the uh, the instrumental as a as a bumper going back in. And I, I I didn't set it up. I, I don't I don't know where it came from or why it came out, but that was a song anyway. It took my breath away. Oh, Memories, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Hey, we've been sitting before we get into the um, the Steve Baker stuff and all that you've been going through the last week since we talked last, we were just talking about what's going on in the Biden administration regarding the stuff over there, the terrorism. And his very aggressive pushback against Iraq. Yeah. I mean, he's you know yeah. he's got them running; they're scared to death. Yeah. I started to say something different than to death. Anyway, it is what it is. But we're watching the results. I don't know if you heard. Just going into this break, we did a a, a segment from yesterday's press briefing in the White House with Admiral John Kirby, and he would not come out and say anything other than. Well, we're doing a good job over there. We're deciding now what to do after 165 strikes against our people in the Middle East, in Iraq and Syria. We're thinking about—he he he just keeps going, don't say that we haven't taken aggressive actions against Iran to stop this. What are you doing, zipping something?
6: I'm packing as we were talking. Sorry about that. We heard that <laughs> zipper. I, I just,
1: yeah, I just well, thought maybe we ought to let you have a quiet moment to yourself and we'll call back.
6: I, I, I promised that was a suitcase. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> anyway, the insanity in this administration is they talk. They're trying to somehow get the American people to go along with the, I don't know, Um Maybe they think we're so stupid we can't see what's going on. They're not pushing back against Iran or there wouldn't have been 165 attacks. Maybe after the third, fourth, or fifth, we would have done something. But 165, that's kind of out there, don't you think?
6: Yeah, you know, look, (laughs) you know, I'm probably always going to have a different take on things than some people, but, you know, I've spent my entire life and I actually talked about this last night. I was uh, on Tim Pool's show last night and I, I was uh, uh, in in their round table that he does, you know, with the, the, all the really fancy podcast gear and the great setup that he has and his sidekicks and, uh, you know, additional uh, analysts that he always has on his round table. And so when we were talking about this, that was the one thing that I said is that I and me being twice the age of everybody else in that room, I said, "I grew up in an era when somebody attacked the U.S. or our interests overseas, we just automatically expected an immediate retaliatory strike, a punishment, you know, the shock and awe, whatever you want to call it, but with, to to make a statement to whoever lashed out or hurt our people or killed our people, regardless of what the circumstances were." And I said, "But this time." because I can't believe anything that comes out of this administration. The last thing I want them doing is doing anything that puts us into world war three right now. Uh, I would, I would normally say you kill three of our guys. We kill 3000 of yours. That's my, you know, the way I was brought up. It seems like the right thing to do, but, but then I get to thinking about it and what, what are our guys doing over in Jordan anyway? Why are we there? What is the reason? Are they are they specifically there? Are they cannon fodder? Are they bait, like like a, a trawl line for the warmongers, for the people like Lindsey Graham and these people that want to go to war? I mean, I I, have, I just, I can no longer look at the world as simplistically as I used to. I wish I could. I wish I was not as naive as I was then. But as we've talked about on your show many times before. I, it's just very difficult for me to believe anything that i don't see with my own eyes
1: but put it in pers- put it <laughs> put it in the in this perspective they're not in iran they're not in iran no they're under the approval of those two governments syria and iraq they're there they're americans but they're there yeah. just because they're there doesn't give somebody an okay to go kill them.
6: No, it doesn't. Absolutely not. I don't want my comments to be construed in that manner
1: either. I know, but let's, let's draw this line then. This is where I started the show with this morning. What do we do? How can we stop this flood of people across our southern border? How can we stop there being the 170th hit by Iran proxies against our military people that are over there how can we stop that it's not going to stop based upon the actions that this president has already taken although John Kirby yesterday in the press briefing in the White House he 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 told everybody that asked him this question don't say that we're not responding in aggression fashion we have been well what are you going to do about it well I can't tell you what we're going to do about it. We're not going to reveal our operational plans and stuff like that so our enemies know. So here we are, 165 attacks against us. Three people died, dozens of others seriously injured. Many of that dozens have permanent brain damage, and we've done nothing. So how do we, and, and I'm asking you this question. I want your opinion. How do you think we ought to draw the line in this particular circumstance and do what needs to be done to stop this from continuing?
6: Oh, Dan. Right, yeah. This is, this is, where, this is one of those moments where I find myself without an answer. I, I mean, look, opinion, I, I got them all day long. Uh, Sometimes I've even got what I believe are definitive answers to, uh, you know, questions and and the solutions that ought to be enacted in a situation. This is one of those times where I am left speechless, so to speak, or without words because of the fact there's just so much going wrong right now in the world. You said earlier the hell of the world we just before we went on the air. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, we've got we've got it. Seems like we're it seems like we're bouncing between two. Uh, I called it yesterday in a tweet of uh, a, um, a a wag the Siamese dog. You know, a, a, a wag the dog with two heads. We have you know the possibility of civil war <laughs> erupting at our southern border, kicking off there as a result of. Uh, 25 or so states uh, standing up against the administration and sending National Guard troops down to the border to assist Texas. And then you've got the truckers headed down there. I called it last night on the pool show. I called it the the, the potential for a glorified um, uh, Bundy Ranch standoff down there against the federal government. And that's not necessarily a bad thing from my perspective, from the way I view the world and the way I view the situation down there and how it needs to be handled but this is all the direct result of an inept administration that does not have a first of all true leadership because we know that biden is a figurehead we know that he's not making the call about what's happening he is pumped with some sort of amphetamine sent to the microphone he can handle it for 15 30 maybe 45 minutes and then they get him back to nappy nap time and then whoever is making those decisions obviously we know that they want chaos in the world this is this is their primary goal and agenda because it's the playbook it is it's the handbook actually I should say it's right out of the Sololinsky sololinski handbook they want chaos in the world and they're creating it they've created the situation that is fostering chaos on our southern border and it's a powder keg and they're they're creating chaos in the Middle East, and it's a powder keg. And look, let me let me re, let me check myself on what I just said. They didn't create chaos in the Middle East. The Middle East is chaos. It will always be. It always has been. It's not going to change until Jesus comes back. Period. End of combo That's not going to change. But what we should be doing, and what we should be doing as a country. Is different than I, what I believe is what we're doing now. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a isolationist. I am what they would call a you know I'm a libertarian non-interventionist. Uh, you know, trade with all, <laughs> yeah. You know, going right back to the founding fathers, but yeah, peace. You know, peace with all of our all of these you know different peoples over there. We should trade with them. Uh, but do we need to be try? Do we need to be nation building? Do we need to be try uh, trying to force democracy upon them uh, and our values upon them? Because when we do that, then we face the kickback or the the lashback uh, from them. And I think that um, I don't. I just don't think that anything that we have done in terms of Middle East policy. Has, has been successful for as long as we've been trying it, and that's across multiple administrations from both parties. And I don't think it's a fixable problem. I just don't want to spark World War III, and that's what I'm afraid of right now.
1: Same here. There have always been wars. There will always be wars, but you, if you ever get in one, it needs to be specifically you reaching back to defend yourself. If you start doing things to go in and do something to some sovereign nation because you don't like what they're doing or maybe they threw some rocks at you, whatever the reasons yeah. are, there's always going to be response, especially from those Middle Eastern countries. That's what they are. They're terrorists. Yeah. And they're going to do what terrorists are going to do. And unless they're held accountable, they're like the bully out in the play yard. He'll walk around and scare everybody to death and every once in a while pop somebody in the face to scare other people. But you got to have at one point a bigger bully or maybe a little guy that has a lot of uh, backbone to go over and hit him between the eyes once and that's it. It's really hard. It's really hard to play that game. But
6: that's what this is where we're failing. Let's just call it we're failing in our war policy. Let's just call it what it is. We have we have a military-industrial complex who loves the idea of extended wars. They don't want quick fixes. They don't want to end one overnight because this is this is exactly what we were warned against by President Dwight D. Eisenhower. Uh, he he was very specific and told us that we were entering this day. Uh, And that if we allowed them the power that they have achieved uh, through money, obviously, by buying off politicians, obviously, that they can have these 20-year wars and these extended conflicts. And this is exactly what I'm afraid of, again, as we finally were drawing down and finishing up in in, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan – now they, these guys like Lindsey Graham and, and Nikki Haley have been chomping at the bits for years to go after Iran, but here's the, here's the policy I may, I may or may not have ever mentioned this to you before. And I apologize if I'm giving anybody a spoiler here, but if you go back and read the Clancy novels and you read this, you know, the, his prime character of course was Jack Ryan. Yeah. And by the time, by the time you got up to the book, um, a debt of honor, this was this was where Clancy got, you know, he it was another one of his predictive or prophetic moments because there at the end of that book, a fully fueled seven forty seven was flown into the US Capitol building during a joint session of Congress, and he wiped out the American government. Supreme Court was in there, the both both houses of Congress. Um Jack Ryan had just been nominated; he wasn't elected, but he had just been nominated as vice president, and he was coming in for his swearing-in in the tunnels underneath the building when the plane hit. And the the, the Secret Service, and the, as the book goes, they they turn around and they they grab him and his family, they throw him back in the in the vehicles, and they haul him off. And as they're leaving, they said something to the effect of, "We're taking you to safe place, Mister President." In other words, the president himself had been in the building already and was was killed in this strike. So in the next book called Executive Orders, now the entire world sees America as ultimately weak. America's leadership has been decapitated. And, And so Jack Ryan basically has no option but to govern by executive order for a period of time until the government can be replaced. And he implemented what he called the Ryan Doctrine. And the Ryan Doctrine is, you know, this is is fiction, but it's the most sound military doctrine uh, that, that could be implemented. It is my fantasy doctrine that if somebody says overseas that they're going to do something to us, we take them at their word and we kill them. Boom. If they say that we are the great Satan and that they're going to take us out, okay, well, we know what palace they live in. We know we know we, we have we have our we have our eyes on the ground there and we take them out or in this situation like here you warn an entire country and you say through the entire country you say look here's the thing we're going to leave you alone you get to be who you want to be you can do what you want to do with your own borders over there you can you can have the leadership you want you can have dictators you can have ayatollahs. you can have whatever 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 form of government you want, you just leave American interest alone. As long as you leave us alone, we will leave you alone to your own devices. But the second that you harm American interest anywhere in the world, in any way or any form, we will take out all of your mosques, all of your palaces, all of your government buildings. We can do it in a surgical one-night strike, and then you can start over again. And and that's that was the Ryan doctrine. And that's exactly the way I feel about this right right now, Dan. We're not going to do that. We don't have the political will to do that. But if we're going to go after those who did this, we don't need a long protracted war where hundreds of thousands of innocents are being killed as a result of, you know, these these drawn out twenty twenty year wars. Just take out the people who gave the orders. Kill them and then tell the next group that replaces them. Now, this is your option. You see what we're willing to do. That if we makes enacted if we enacted the Ryan Doctrine, I'm all in. Let's go.
1: That makes perfect sense to me, and it kind of sounds like what uh, Benjamin Netanyahu told the leaders of Hamas and why. All of, all of these governments around the nation around the world are saying, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. That's genocide. He told them from the beginning. <laughs> They've said it for yeah. years. Hamas has said it for years. We're going to kill every Jew. We're going to destroy the nation of Israel. And we're going to keep going until it's done. And so Netanyahu gets up there and he does the Ryan Doctrine. He tells them, yeah. hey, no, no peace, no kind of agreement of any kind because of what you've done and you keep doing, and because you tell us you're going to keep on, we're not going to stop going in there and looking for you guys until we know every one of them are dead. And the world goes, oh, my gosh, why would they do that? I mean, the United Nations and even at the World Economic Forum, you know, where everybody with lots of money got together and told (laughs) us how we should be doing and living our lives, right?
0: Uh, right, right, right,
1: right. They, they could not believe it, but you're right. That deterrence is probably the best form of military policy. I don't know how else to say it. You're right about that. Wow. I,
0: you know,
6: and and as I, and I, and as I said to everyone, I sorry, I, I don't know if I completed my thought. If, if you are now here 25 years late and you're just getting into the, uh, the Tom Clancy series. I'm sorry. I, I I gave you a a spoiler there. Yes. Jack Ryan eventually does become president. Okay. So (laughs) sorry to ruin that for your (laughs) listeners.
1: Well, let's take that whole mantra and let's go down to our Southern border. I I won't get into the ins and outs. We, we all know where the responsibility lies. I don't know if you were listening. I guess you're packing to leave wherever you are. are. You still in Chicago?
6: No, I'm in uh I'm on the ridge between uh the north western part of Maryland into West Virginia. Okay. And uh yeah, so I'm uh I'm right on the the edge. I think I'm on the Maryland side at the moment and um I'll be on the uh, West Virginia side just as soon as we're off of this call.
1: <laughs> I got you. Uh, okay. Well, stay with us for just a few minutes. I want your I want, yeah, I want your yeah. focused attention. Um, so we're on at the southern border. Feckless leadership. No reliable, understandable policy down there to take care of any of that. I, you know, if, if we could sit here for days and talk. What about this? What about this? What about this? And it comes back to this. This morning when I opened the show, I went into this a little bit. And I read the laws, two laws, federal laws that have been in place for a long time regarding border enforcement and what rules, who can do what, define the rule of law about coming in here illegally. So I did. If they come in across the border without a written invitation to be there, They're breaking the law, and there are instant penalties. Six months in jail, first offense. And we went through that process. And then I said, what about people that are facilitating those coming across the border? And I read the law that specifically addresses that, that anybody that does that is guilty of breaking a criminal, a federal law. And they've got to be held accountable. And there are specifics in there that include jail time. And if it's a repeat offender doing that, it's big time jail time. So we've got that framework. You know, we're supposed to be living. Every one of these people, they pledged an oath to the United States, and they said they would enforce the laws of the Constitution and every other law. Well, they're not doing it. And we're doing nothing about it. Nobody's saying anything. Well, everybody's saying things, but doing things, that's another story. So if you don't hold those guilty of all this stuff and hold them accountable to a specific thing, which would be one of these two laws, how the heck do you function and get it fixed?
6: Well, you don't if you don't hold people to so we're we're supposed to be a nation of law, yeah. not a nation of the, whim, the whims of man. Well, people can argue that we became increasingly less a nation of law the day after the constitution was ratified. And then we started the process of dismantling it. Okay. Fair, that's a, that's a fair enough argument. But as we move 200, 220, 240 years away from the establishment of being a nation of law, we have incompletely. completely, we have, we have just gutted the constitution. We have, we have eviscerated the idea of being a nation of law. We have become the nation of, and we can see it just in exactly what you're, what you're talking about right here, Dan. We can see it in the border policy just between two administrations. If you go down to the border today and you interview any border patrol officer down there from the lowest ranking officer to a command level officer, they will tell you that when the Biden administration took over that it was like, Flipping a switch, everything changed and they were flat out ordered to not, not to allow it to happen but to make happen what we're seeing at the border now. And as a result of that, this is, this is exactly what you're talking about. This is now no longer a nation of laws because if they just would enforce the laws that are on the books, both sides of what you just described right there, the laws related to immigrant passage across the border, the laws related to legal and illegal um, uh, crossing of those borders, and then also you apply the law to the officials who are themselves turning their backs on the law or deliberately facilitating the breaking of American law. And put those people in jail. If we would do that, just be a nation of law, then we don't have chaos. We don't have chaos at the border. We don't have chaos elsewhere. And then we can. And then anybody can look at the nation in the eye and say, "This is maybe not what you want as a voting population, as a quote-unquote democracy. Maybe you want it to be different. But right now, this is the law. We change the law." through the legislative process, through the people that you vote and put in office. If you want this law to change, change who's in office. But if we're operating by the law, we don't have chaos, and we don't have this bitterness. Because right now, everybody thinks that he, because it's happening this way, they think that the president is God, that the president is a king, and he could do whatever they want to. And that's why we've elevated this these presidential races to the, the level of importance that they shouldn't be, that the founders never intended them to be. And certainly what Washington did not want to be when they wanted him to stay on as a permanent president. he said, absolutely not. And after two terms in office, he said, I'm out of here. That's not what this country is about.
1: I know you're on a short time rope and I want to, I want to, do one thing before you get away. Give us an update on the January 6th developments as they pertain to you and give us a little insight into that press conference that happened last week in Dallas.
6: Yeah. So um, I I, I do have a video. It's an extended video uh, available to me. I haven't put it up yet because of of what I've, I just got it late yesterday afternoon. So I'll, I'll have that up on all of the social media accounts um, it, it'll be, um, it, it's yeah, 20 or 25 minutes. It's my, uh, four of my six attorneys were able to be there in Dallas with me last Thursday. And, uh, we did a, uh, press conference right there in Dealey Plaza. And then, uh, each, each of my attorneys made a short presentation. I, I spoke at the end of that and we don't have the question and answer session that, that happened after that from the media, but, what uh, we basically did, and there's no other way to say it, is that my attorneys made the decision to just throw down the gauntlet to the Department of Justice and say, uh, first of all, you, you you should not be doing this. You should not be attacking and going after prosecuting, persecuting independent journalists. Let's just start there. Uh, second, you shouldn't be doing something that really looks like retaliation because this particular journalist has been investigating you and because he's been finding malfeasance and corruption in federal agencies, it's going to really look bad on you if you go after him. And then the third message was, but if you're going to do it, it's going to be a fight. It's not going to go easy on you. We're going to try this thing in the, in the court of public opinion, and you're going to lose there, even if I, me meaning me personally, even if I lose in front of a DC jury, um, they're going to lose in terms of what's happening in the court of public opinion. And fortunately, as as we've already seen, uh, the blaze has really you know just demonstrated incredible support for me. Um, and it's it's why you know I, I'll tell you it's kind of it's kind of a a, a uh, interesting and funny thing is I actually had to turn down a request from Tucker Carlson to be on his show yesterday. Because I was already booked with Tim Pool, so when you're turning down when you're turning down Tucker yeah. to be on Tim Pool, you know. But but obviously I was already I was already booked, so uh, we're going we we'll have to reschedule that at another time. But it, it's it's the point the point of this is is not my fame, not my celebrity, not anything that's happening to me. The point is is that this story is resonating so much now that the big names are, the ear, their, their ears are perking up and going, what's going on here? And they know that it's wrong. They know what the Department of Justice is doing is wrong. They know that it's it's a weaponized uh, entity now against the speech of one particular side, one particular half, let's call it, of the American people right now, and that if my case becomes the epicenter of this battle. It looks like, thank God, Dan, we're going to have, um, we're going to have some, some powerful people, uh, joining me in the, in, in the battle.
1: That's what we need. Whatever it takes to get dug down and find the nitty gritty, figure out who's doing what and hold everybody, everybody accountable for what's going on. And you and I both know there's a bunch of stuff buried out there. They think, they think, that can't be unburied, they being the hard politicals on the other side, the deep side. There may be some on this side. I'm sure there probably yeah. is because they're politicians. But anyway, get answers, real answers. That's what we need.
6: Yeah. Hey, buddy. I, saw, I will tell you that like your, well, real quick, I'll say this. Yes. I, I would encourage everybody to go find, you can find the two-hour um, show. It's on on uh, YouTube that we did last night with Tim Poole. It was live, but of course it's it's up on there. Permanently now, um, I think uh, I think on you can either type in Tim Pool or Tim Cast one word T I M C A S T and you can find our show from last night. And like when I'm with you on these Tuesday mornings, I get to talk about other things in J6. And that was a real pleasure last night to be at a round table for a couple of hours and be able to talk about other things than just myself. Good. Uh, and so yeah, yeah. So uh, that that happened, and it's it was it was a real pleasure as it is to be with you and your audience every Tuesday as well.
1: Tell us again where they know they need to go to see this video and your other uh, social media platforms.
6: Yeah, uh, on X, the the platform formerly known as Twitter, it's just very simply at TPC4USA, TPC, the number four USA. It's exactly the same on Facebook, TPC4USA. It's the same in our locals community. And if you can support what we're doing um, and and uh, you can join, the, the locals community ha- is free um, to, to follow. But obviously I've got a paywall there for, for where I interact personally with uh, with our, our uh, subscribing members there. And it's as little as $5 a month. People can help us out there. And that's also uh, tpc4usa.com, tpc4usa.com. And I will have – that press conference up today uh, just as soon as i get situated uh here in just a few minutes and can get my laptop open i will have that press conference posted to all of those um, platforms
1: well once again steve thank you buddy for being here being part of what we're doing we got your back and we'll make sure everything you're doing is up on truthnewsnet.org as it comes out we want to let everybody know and keep them posted And those of you listening and watching, please check it out for yourself. There's a lot of stuff there, even more than what you hear when he comes here every Tuesday. Be safe in your travels, buddy. Thank you, Dan. All right, folks. We're not done yet. Guess what? We've got some news about Joe Biden and some shared bank accounts with Joe Biden. Uh Uh-oh. The noose may be tightening a bit. That's next. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy.
0: You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. Right I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City, with the coverage of 5G nationwide and, in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities. Welcome back to the King Value Radio Network.
3: I'm your host, Sandy. And
6: I'm your other host, Carl. Sandy, we are getting loads of calls today about the
3: fresh new $1 Double Crispy Cheesy Burger. Well, hello. With two flame-broiled patties, crispy onions, and cheesy sauce for only a buck, that's no surprise. Jim from Tucson, you're on the air.
6: Yeah, hi, guys. I just want to say I took your advice, went to Burger King, I got a new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger for a buck, I couldn't be happier. Oh,
3: congratulations. Say, Jim, what was your favorite part of the delicious new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger, the flame-fresh taste? Well, I'll
2: tell you, it had two big flame broiled patties, plus it had crispy onions and cheesy
6: sauce, too. It was really delicious.
2: Oh, don't forget the price, Jim.
6: Oh, yeah, and it only costs a dollar. It's probably the best purchase I ever made.
2: Probably, Jim. Okay, definitely.
4: Yeah, there it is. Get the new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger with double the flame-fresh taste.
0: In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network.
1: You know, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of getting tired of all of this stuff, these investigations going on in Washington, and not getting any results. And because we're not getting any results, we don't see or hear any finality, we think maybe there's not going to be finality. Maybe it's just going to continue to go on out in the blogosphere and we'll never know what's going on. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed. Today, Eric Sherwin, he's the Biden family's estranged money man. He shared bank accounts with President Biden. He's right now, as a matter of fact, appearing before the House Impeachment Inquiry Deposition. This is the Impeachment Inquiry Deposition. Now Keep that in mind. House investigators, what they're looking for, they want to ascertain information about Schwerwin's role within the Biden family's foreign business dealings, and he was right smack dab in the middle of them. Also, Joe Biden's knowledge of and participation in In those dealings. In December, you'll remember the Committee on Ways and Means released a spreadsheet that was compiled by an IRS criminal investigator that included dozens of email exchanges between or among Hunter, Schwerwin, and pseudonyms that are attributable to Joe Biden between 2010 and 2019. The National Archives released some documents showing Schwerwin had direct contact with White House employees regarding Burisma. Schwerwin coordinated with the White House on Burisma, a Ukrainian energy company, about issues when he didn't work for or receive payments from Burisma. Just a reminder, Schwerwin was the president of Rosemont Seneca Partners. That was a fund created by Hunter and several others that spawned business deals in Russia, Ukraine, China, and Romania. Many of those deals yielded the Biden family business millions over decades while Joe was in office. And that's the problem. If he was in private life when all this happened, no big deal. It may have been a little questionable, but he wouldn't have any obligation to you or me as Americans. It's his business, right? Sherwin visited the White House at least 27 times during Joe Biden's vice presidency. And that's from the White House visitor log. So those are facts. 27 times. Now, why the heck was he there? He was an accountant. Why was he there? Just asking. In 2018, Hunter's text showed a deep distrust of Schwerwin and his involvement in the family's affair, in which Hunter Biden apparently owed Schwerwin money. That's according to text obtained. Schwerwin was his worst enemy, and everyone knows it, Hunter Biden announced. Hunter told his assistant, Katie Dodge, I've not heard of her name come up before, but I would think that person would probably be a go to if you wanted information. I mean real facts. He told her, Hunter did, that Schwerwin was his worst enemy, and he whined that he owed him 30% of my income for apparently 10 years. I can't imagine that, but apparently Hunter claimed it. Maybe it's factual. I don't know. They'll probably find out today. The text relates to Hunter's frustration about Schwerwin's continued involvement in the family business. So then we know that by 2019, their relationship deteriorated to the point that Hunter hatched a plot to betray Schwerwin by cutting him out of an ongoing off-the-books business arrangement. If this doesn't show anything more than this, this is pretty significant. These people were together. They were working together over many years, and it was a big operation. Money going, coming and going all over different people and just because i get frustrated about this let me just let me just be honest with you i get frustrated about this it's going on and on and on when are we going to get facts let's either get it to a point where we can do something about it or throw it away it takes up a lot of time and understanding there are so many moving parts now that doesn't diminish the fact that there are very many moving parts that we don't see and understand and to get any finality, we've got to get to the end of it because we want to base it on factual information. Did the president take money from foreign business entities in any way while he was the president? On a 100% level, let me tell you where I am percentage-wise. I would say I'm at about the 66 or 68% level that he did Will it be discovered? Is it even discoverable? And then let me throw another one in as we move on. I think people know factually. In fact, I'm almost certain people know factually what really happened and that there is wrongdoing there, illegality on the part of this president. I think that. I don't know that. But remember, as we talked about a couple of different times in this show today, just because we think we have our understanding of government things going on, we don't know what's happening inside. We don't know who is involved in what's happening inside. And just because it's out there and we're 68, 70, maybe even 90% sure of it, doesn't mean we're ever going to find out for sure. Former President Trump is going to stay on the primary election ballot in Massachusetts. A judge on the state Supreme Judicial Court denied a bid to disqualify him yesterday. Supreme Judicial Court Justice Frank Gaziano upheld the State Ballot Law Commission's decision last week to dismiss that challenge on the grounds that it lacked jurisdiction. Justice Gaziano, who was appointed by former Governor Charlie Baker, He wrote in the court's decision on Monday that the challenge came too soon in the election cycle as President Trump is not yet the GOP nominee. Significantly for purposes of the commission's jurisdiction, Trump's place on the ballot was not secured through the submission of nomination papers, nor at this stage is he the subject of any certificate of nomination or a nominee. Because Trump's appearance on the primary ballot is not pursuant to nomination papers, this provision does not apply. The petitioner's objections have, in essence, come too soon, he said. If there's any question whether the commission has the authority or the jurisdiction to consider the petitioner's objections regarding Trump's eligibility to appear on the general election ballot, that question will not become ripe until and if He is selected as his party's nominee for president. And that question is not currently before me. So I wanted to point this out for one reason. There's a judge somewhere that wants to abide by the law? Oh my God, there's one left. I'm joking, I'm joking. But isn't it odd to you? Have you been kind of shocked a few times in the last year, when we're finding out that politics really does live in the judiciary system, it really does. And sometimes these judges and maybe even justices I don't want to say that, I just said maybe they get caught into the political corner when they're weighing in on these cases that come up around the, the uh, United States. I think it's happening. I really think it's real. Something interesting happened late yesterday. Representative Claudia Tenney, a Republican from New York, has nominated Donald Trump for a Nobel Peace Prize. Justification for our nomination, his historic Abraham Accords Treaty. That, my friends, during the Trump administration was the most shocking accomplishment by this president that I could ever think he could pull together. Do you know what the Abraham Accords were? Because now everybody over there is pulled out. Donald Trump was instrumental in facilitating the first new peace agreements in the Middle East in almost 30 years. Remember, if you've been around this long, for decades, bureaucrats, foreign policy so-called professionals and even international organizations, they insisted that additional Middle East peace agreements were impossible. They first had to reach a resolution on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And what did Trump do? He came in and he proved that to be false. To me, this is really a big deal. In all of this chaos and confusion that we're living through, and our government, what they're doing and not doing, and all of the crazy stuff around the world. This is one thing that makes sense. Not because I like Donald Trump. I do in some ways, I don't in some ways. I voted for him twice because I thought he was the best candidate in each of those races. But the Nobel Peace Prize acknowledges the peace accord between Israel and Egypt in 1978 as well as the Oslo Accords in 1994. There's been no recognition for Trump's role in brokering that agreement between Israel and four of its Arab neighbors that nobody else had ever, ever been able to pull together. And it was for one purpose, to normalize diplomatic and economic relations between those nations. When I heard he was even working on it, I went, there's no way. They're not going to agree. I know it's Donald Trump, a great negotiator, but they're not going to do that because they despise each other. Tinney said this in her nomination The valiant efforts by President Trump in creating the Abraham Accords were unprecedented and continue to go unrecognized by the Nobel Peace Prize Committee, underscoring the need for his nomination today. Now more than ever, when Joe Biden's weak leadership on the international stage is threatening our country's safety and security, we must recognize Trump for his strong leadership and his efforts to achieve world peace. I am honored to nominate former President Donald Trump today and I'm eager for him to receive the recognition he deserves. What about that? I think that's a big deal. I really do. And I hope it comes to pass. I hope the political winds of the left worldwide don't stop this from happening. But sadly, I got to tell you, I think because of that, not because of the content and the substance of what this would mean, I think it won't happen. And it, I hate it. I just can't imagine it. But you know what? That's the world we live in politics and a political perspective and narrative. They operate and rule everything in pretty much almost every country. We've lost our way. You know, I said this Abraham Accords thing, possible Nobel Peace Prize for Trump is not a big thing. Here's a big thing. Rank and file auto workers are bucking their union. The UAW. Why would they do that? because the UAW has endorsed Joe Biden. And the union members rank and file, they put out a note that said, we can think for ourselves. Wow. Union's leadership support for President Biden does not factor into the opinions of these auto workers. UAW President Sean Fain announced Wednesday the union is endorsing Biden in the 2024 race, despite attempts by former President Trump to woo UAW leadership over. Rank-and-file auto workers spoke about the union's support for Biden, who said that many members don't plan to vote for the president because of his views on trade and electric vehicles. And that union leadership does not share the same interest as workers. Go figure. You know, back in the early, I don't know, 1800s, 1900s, let's, let's just leave it in the 1900s, working conditions for blue-collar, rank-and-file Americans were really difficult. Long hours, no safety or anything like that in these operations. Pay was what it was, but it wasn't great. Conditions were not necessarily great. Unions were definitely needed at that time, and they did great work for a number of years. But when it began to look like unions and having unions at all was a little past its prime, they just morphed into high gear to find ways to make money, get money, and control all kinds of things and people with their money including politics. Joe Pizzamenti has been an hourly worker at Ford Sterling plant in Sterling Heights, Michigan. He's been there 30 years. He's been an UAW member the entire time, 30 years. He said that the members he works with are independent thinkers and they support their union representation, but they do not feel pressured to vote based on their union's endorsement. He said, the endorsement is not a big deal to me because I think for myself, and I'm not alone. I support my labor union and happily pay my dues each month, but I can figure out the ballot on my own. Many of my co-workers and I see the Biden administration as hostile to the American auto industry and thus to the interest of UAW members, Worse, many of us see, he said, the policies of the Democrats as hostile to middle-class Americans and certainly to our families. Another member, Nelson Westrick, been a member for more than 27 years. He works at the same plant. He said he doesn't consider himself a Republican, but rather an American-first Trump supporter. I personally hired in almost 28 years ago, and at that time, he said, anyone who didn't vote Democrat, didn't really speak out about politics because the plant population was heavily dominated by Democrats. He said, I think it was about 85%, and only 15% Republican in those days. Current status, it's that people are now very outspoken with support toward Trump, wearing Trump hats, shirts, and other garb. We don't put a lot of credence into what the upper UAW echelon says, It was only a matter of a few years back that around 15 of them went to federal prison for robbing us, the members of the union, and it was probably going on for decades. Yeah, most UAW members are still distrustful of the union leadership after it was revealed that a number of those officials were involved in a scandal that resulted in 15 convictions in 2020. Two former UAW presidents were found to have embezzled hundreds of thousands of dollars in union dues between 2010 and 2019. Another union member, Chris, he currently works at a Stalin, Stellantis employee in their technology center in Michigan. He's been involved with the union since '94. He agrees with Trump's trade policy, seeing it as leveling the U.S. with the global playing field. He also strongly detests the corruption of the UAW's past leaders, even having lobbied fellow union members to vote for Sean Fain as an anti-corruption candidate. Sean Fain was the first UAW president in its history elected directly by the membership. But keep in mind the alternative choice was someone who held office during the time of corruption— but was never charged. So his 500 vote victory was not so much a wholehearted endorsement, but rather a rejection of the past corrupt leadership. I'm incredibly disappointed that Sean Fain, the reformed candidate who I lobbied my coworkers for, continues the insanity of a blind Democrat candidate endorsement. It's as obvious as the nose on your face that being taken for granted results in no progress on the systemic problems faced by American workers in a global market. With President Trump, we had somebody who was an advocate for fair trade, not just the free trade giveaways of American industry. He did exactly what foreign leadership does, prioritize the people he was elected to represent. Wow. We don't hear too much coming out of union, folks. It's almost like the union leaders don't want their rank-and-file members to talk. But, oh well. We've got another really important story, but I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take this short break. You want to hear about this? It's about Obama. Obama, one of his officials... And what this expert from the obama administration has to say about joe
3: biden hmm when playing football you run up to 120 pitches you work out 650 muscles you withstand three times your body weight you treble your adrenaline production you raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute and in the end you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. Gatorade works with no artificial colors or sweeteners. Starbucks via instant is made with the same 100% Arabica beans served at Starbucks. So it's the only instant with the rich, delicious taste of the Starbucks coffees you love and takes only seconds to make. Starbucks Via Instant, the only instant coffee of its kind. Available in black-flavored lattes and iced coffee.
6: Hi, Tom Bodette, quote, checking in on my smartphone. Everyone's checking in nowadays at airports, restaurants, appointments with certain medical specialists. Seriously, people, TMI. Anyway, thanks to the Motel 6 mobile app, you can book a clean, comfortable room at Motel 6 on your smartphone and get a great rate. Then when you get to Motel 6, you can check in after you check in. Your friends will be totes jealous. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you.
1: Do you remember one of the most famous of Barack Obama's um, secretaries, Bob Gates, Defense Secretary Bob Gates? He first expressed his displeasure with Biden's foreign policy position in 2014 in a book that he wrote, and he said Biden was a man of integrity he believed the former senator and then vice president had been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. And he came back and doubled down when these three military members were killed over there, and he said basically, see, I told you. I know he hates to be wrong." be right in this particular case because people paid uh, for that with their lives. And it, it's just really sad that that had to happen. Meanwhile, Biden's out on the stump again over the weekend in South Carolina. He gave us another couple of goodies.
2: Did you see what
5: he recently said about that he Wants to, uh, the, he wants to see the economy
6: crash this year? Yeah. Sitting president. As they say in my faith bless me, Father, for... I mean, come on, man. 1,600 asylum asylum officers and over 100 cutting-edge inspection machines to help detect and stop fentanyl coming on our
1: southwest border. That's just a couple of examples, but that was all in one speech over the weekend. So there's Joe and his cognitive disabilities, which um, Donald Trump's been kind of all over, hasn't he? Well... Never fear, never fear, Nancy Pelosi came to Joe Biden's back.
8: And Nancy Pelosi is attacking Trump's mental fitness, accusing the former president of having cognitive disorder, but then she herself got confused.
7: I'm not gonna spend too much time on Donald Trump's uh, cognitive disorders. He tried to say that Nikki Haley did not allow the National Guard to come, but it was Nancy Pelosi. It wasn't nobody. It was Joe. It was Donald Trump. He knows and you know that Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer and I begged for hours for the National Guard to come.
1: So she's got a little bit of slurring of her own going on there. And of course, uh, I always thought she had about maybe 20, 30% of a brain. And oh, by the way, the National Guard thing, that was in reference to getting the National Guard on site January 6th. Nancy doesn't want to talk about the fact that days before January 6th, it was confirmed that President, then-President Trump, reached out to the National Guard and requested 20,000 troops in D.C., on the day of January 6th. And it had to go through Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi because they were the majority leader of the Senate and the House Speaker. They have control over things going on at the Capitol. And Nancy Pelosi told them, hell no, we don't want to look like a foreign country. Well, sometimes... Things happen that they don't want us to know about, right? Hey, guys, it's been a good Tuesday. Thanks for being here. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. again at TNN Live.